we, we all have an inner world that we are cultivating on the inside. The question is, what is our faith resting in? Because faith is never, never neutral. Mm. It's either in us or somebody else or something else. And that is ultimately going to show itself in our lives. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. I have two guests with me today. They're both returning guests. We have the General Director of Torchbearers, Peter Reed, and the Principal here at His Hill, John Forrest. Hi, guys. Hey. Great to be with you, uh, Kelly. Thank you. Good to have you. I appreciate you spending uh, some time with me, taking some time out of both of you, having busy schedules, taking time out of that. And, uh, and doing this. Today, for our listeners, just so they know what's going on, in a little bit, we're going to each share some scripture that the Lord has used in our lives and explain a little bit of that to you, just how that is so. And, uh, and then we'll just discuss it some and mm. hope that that would be an encouragement to you as you listen to what the Lord's done in our lives through his word. But before we get to that, since we have Peter with us, who is, again, the general director at Torchbearers, I thought maybe we'd just ask him um, how things are going in Torchbearers. Uh, Peter, we get to, usually we, we get to see you once a year, uh, which is a big deal because, you know, that, that, that's, 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 it is, that's a big deal in itself that we would actually get to get a chance to see you once a year for a Thanksgiving conference. Yeah. But you were able to uh, come back this year. What are you doing in the States? Well, periodically there will be ministry opportunities that I like to group together so that I make best use of my time. And it just so happened this year that I was going to be at a men's conference here in Texas. Worked out well to come and teach, and John had asked me if I could, so I combined the two, and then we go up to Canada and then Michigan afterwards, and it all fits together. Okay, great. Well, we're glad you're here. Thanks for doing that. So how are things going in Torchbearers? Well, looking back over my shoulder, you know, we're post-pandemic right now, right. and I just praise God for the way that he has supplied for the centers around the world in wonderful ways, and it would be too much to explain in this broadcast, but suffice it to say that the Lord provided. We uh, came out of this in mm. uh, surprisingly uh, good fashion, hmm. and all glory goes to him, whether that be financial, health-wise, uh, numbers, etc. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. That's great. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find that really interesting that you're saying that because I'm starting to hear this from lots of places within Christendom. You know, I was wondering at the beginning of COVID if this was not going to turn out to be a good thing mm. for Christianity. Mm. And what we're finding in the States is that... Um, the, that the churches that um, that could maintain uh, a fellowship are, are doing really strong. Mm. But we're finding, uh, but I know the missions committee at our church is telling me that there's things going on all over the world that, I don't know, sometimes, you know, I've been praying, asking the Lord for this, but I wonder if we're not perhaps on the cusp of a, of a spiritual awakening. Mm. And I just think, Wow, what a privilege that would be to to witness something like that, yeah. because I'm hearing uh, again through the missions committee at church that people all over the world are, are reaching a point. And actually, I was talking with somebody else in Torchbearers about this last week at another center, that hearing the same thing, wondering if if what's happening is that people are at a point where they are they're desperate. They're mm. you know we we've been so shut down and closed off that you know people are are, are really having to face. You, you, just some dark things in their own life. And, you know, where's my answer? Where's yes. my hope? Yeah. So, so what an incredible thing it would be. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, um, we have, uh, each of us have selected three either verses or passages. And uh, I just, who wants to go first? I can do it. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Well, um, you know, we've done this before, and so I'm glad that I get more an opportunity to do it more than one time because it just seems like the Lord's used more than just three verses <laughs> in my <Yeah>. life. <laughs> so I think what I want to do is I, I want to start with um, uh, John chapter 8, verses uh, 31 and 32. Now, verse 32 is a verse that a lot of people will quote, non-believers will quote, and not, um, huh, 
not knowing that it, what, what the context is, or I, I think most of them know it comes from scripture. And that's why, you know, you'll hear it on uh, news programs, talk shows. They want to use it to show that they have some kind of knowledge of Scripture. But all they will ever quote is, the truth will, sh- will set you free. Yeah. But if you look at it within the context, then you understand what he's talking about, what truth and w- what we'll be free from. In chapter 8 of John, verse 31, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word... Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The word continue in verse 31, if you continue in my word, it's the same word as abide in John 15. Mm. So, you know, it, which means to remain. If you remain in my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Something that really grab my attention with this is I had a good friend who was um, a professed believer who was a leader, had attended Bible school, was a leader. Um, he and his, um, his girlfriend had just a, an exemplary relationship and um, they got married on their wedding night. Their marriage fell apart. Hmm. They, uh, you know, he, she knew something wasn't right he told her, you know, he just told her some things that he should have should have made clear with her before, and she couldn't handle it, and they tried to make the marriage work for a few years in a, in a very poor way they tried to make it work. But I know I'm giving you a lot of vague mm. um, information, but I called him up to, to talk with him about this. You know, this, again, was a strong believer. He was a leader. And I just said, man, you know what the truth is. And then his reply to me staggered me. He said, how do I know what's true? And I was just so taken back that somebody who had lived, you know, in such a way would say something like that, that I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I had no response. I just was staggered, really, and just just staring. I couldn't believe that was, that was his response. So I was sharing it with uh, the elders in in our church uh, because they, they had known him too. And he just wanted to encourage everybody to be praying for him. And one of them spoke up and says, you know, when he hears people say that it upsets him. And then he's the one that brought this passage to mind. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, (laughs) you know, how do we know what's true? Well, you know, what's true by being with the one who's true, you know, staying with him, being in his word and, uh, and, and then there's a freedom for us in the mess ups of life, you know, in the good times, the bad times, the hard times, the sad times, happy times, but there, there's a freedom, but the, the freedom comes not only from Christ, but as you're with him, you find that your freedom is Christ. So that, that was a good challenge for me. And, and also something that the, you know, as the Lord brought me to that, to, to remember to, to remind other people of that. Anyway, that's that's what I have found to be uh, one of the passages that the Lord has highlighted mm. for me. Yeah, I was, I was think too there, Kelly. You know, it says that the, it's the truth that sets you free, and it it doesn't express that we set ourselves free, mm. um, but that f- the freedom that we enjoy is one that's that's passive in the sense that it's acquired for us elsewhere. We get to embrace the freedom, you mm. know, to enjoy the freedom, but it's not something that, that we've earned or acquired. Right. And so, yeah, it's just coming and knowing the truth, and it's the truth. It's Christ himself. Yeah, Yeah, because I think I agree, because so often it's, it's easy for us to fall into that trap that I'll know the truth by, you know, like anything else, in, you know, that we battle with myself, you know, that I'll know the truth by you know, being in the word and getting all the information and, and then, then I know what's right and there's not going to be a problem. Yeah. But that's, that's the opposite. Mm. Yeah. Kelly, I've known more than one case at this time in my life where some people make the comment, I can't believe in this anymore, Mm -hmm. or how can you know what, what is true? And as I look back, those who have said that, there was some moral failure or deficiency in their lives that moved them to say that. 
because when Christ speaks his word, it's to be done. And when the word of God is done, that's when you know the truth in experience and not just head knowledge. Mm. And it can stay at a very superficial level. Yeah. Just biblical information yeah. instead of the moral power that the spirit of God is willing to work into our lives yeah. when we obey it. Yeah. And those two need to be together. Mm. Yeah, I've, I think we probably can all know this, that, you, that we've known people who have known more than us but mm-hmm. don't know what they think they know. Uh, I can, I remember one gentleman, his knowledge of the Bible was staggering. Um, he, uh, matter of fact, when he was in seminary, he, as he entered seminary, his knowledge of Hebrew was so great that the professor told him, don't bother coming to class. Of all people to mess up, that would be me. Sorry about that, guys. Turn that off. Uh, he said that when he went to seminary, he, he, his knowledge of Hebrew was so strong that the professor said, don't bother coming to class. Here are the dates of the exams. And, you know, it was, it was you know, and that was Hebrew. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then his, just the way he was able to retain things was phenomenal. I remember going to him one time uh, just he wasn't a part of Torchbearers, but he was up here visiting one time, and I went to him with a question. Uh, I was just really struggling over this. You know, what's the answer to this? And he looks at me, and he just answers it by this. He says, context. That's all he had to say. And then I felt like an idiot. You know, but, but he, was, he was right. Mm. And as I looked at it within the context, it changed everything. Well, all that knowledge didn't prevent him from a, a, a severe moral fall that just devastated his family. Um, it, it ended up, it, one of his kids ended up in prison because just how twisted everything got. And so, yeah, I, I you know, it's just, there's got to be, it's like, like what both of you are saying, you know, it's, there's, it's much more than just a, a head knowledge. It's much more than just, you know, sitting down studying and accumulating all the right answers. Yeah. I mean, that's the context of John chapter eight anyway. Right, Jesus right. Jesus speaking to a group of people who were steeped in the scriptures. Yeah. And yet he said to them, your father is the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. Mm. He talked about the fact that he who sins is a slave of sin. Mm-hmm. And it's within that context that we have those verses you read. Yeah. Thanks. That's good. Okay. Who's next? Well, I'll go. Okay. Um, I, I want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 3. Okay. It's the first four verses. I know that it's more than one verse, but I took the freedom to, because of yeah, do that. context. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things of above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that passage has become dear to me and important to me because I've come to know what dominates my thinking has a direct influence on my faith. Mm. And God's word says, set your mind in the things of above, where Christ is. He is the one who is victorious. He is the one who has been given the name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that one lives in me by his spirit. And I need to continually seek and remind myself of the resources that I have in Christ. Mm. And we had a gal at our Bible school years ago who, for lack of a better word, suffered from periods of darkness and depression. And uh, somebody in her church told her to seek out an older woman who they knew, and she went to this woman and was seeking counsel. And this woman heard her story, and then the woman said, uh, listen, here's a, a promise that's been made to all of God's children. I don't know what the promise was. She didn't mention that. And uh, the older woman said, are you a child of God? She said, yes, I am. Well, go learn this uh, go meditate on this verse uh, this week, memorize it, come back next week. She was a little bit taken aback because she thought she was going to get counseling. And 
Mm. She did that, came back the next week, and the woman said, so can you tell me what that passage says? She rattled it off. She said, yeah, I've been meditating on that. And the lady said, we're making progress. And she did that week after week. And this gal said that she walked out of this dark valley because truth began to form her thinking, Mm -hmm. which then in turn gave her more assurance to trust the Lord. And she was doing what Paul spoke about here. Set your mind on the things of above, yeah. not on the things that are on earth. Yeah. And I, you know, I've only been married 19 years, but I've never said to my wife, I, I love you, and have her respond by saying, Peter, that's getting so old. Can't you think of something <laughs> new to say? <laughs> she will never say that, of course. And, and I find for myself, I need the ministry of reminder as far as who Christ is, his authority, his sufficiency, his presence in my life. And I need to seek that instead of just trying to optimize or control my circumstances, mm. which I have no control of anyway. Right. And so that's become very precious to me when mm. it comes to Christ's indwelling life. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think about the, the theme for our, broad, uh, for our podcast is uh, comes from Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Mm. And I, I couldn't help but think about that as you were, you know, as you were talking, because personally I have found, and I try to share that when I teach Hebrews, that, you know, we can, we can be fixed or we can set our mind on all kinds of things that are good, Mm. but we make them bad because we've put them in the place of Christ. Yes. And that's the whole thing with Hebrews. It's like none of those things that he brings up in that book are bad things, that, that, but they're all good things, but Jesus is better. And when you take good and put it in the place of Christ, where well, that's central to your life, you're not setting your mind on Christ. You're not being with him. Uh, you're putting yourself in a position where you have to, if, if that good's going to be of any value, it's because you make it a value. Mm. And you can't do that. Mm. You know, we, we spend a lifetime proving that. Yes. That there's no satisfaction there. Yeah, and I think, too, of just the, the passage, how that, Peter, what you were sharing, goes along with what Kelly was just referencing and talking about the truth setting us free and how the Word of God is what bears the fruit of freedom. You know, that, that's what sets her free from that place of, of depression and, and discouragement, and that is the truth. It's Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean the ab- absence of hard things. No. Right, right. But a peace that passes understanding yes. in the midst of those I, things. I like to say this, because people will look at that passage and they'll say, well, you know, you're so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good. Yeah, well, that's yeah. not true. Yeah. A Christian is somebody who uh, looks the hard facts of life in the face, and then he orders his steps by the truth. Mm. And we were coming out of this past two years, and... We live in an age where we are so bombarded with so much information, not all bad, Mm -hmm. but it's replacing and dominating our thinking patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's not just brainwash. This is not just, you know, positive thinking. Uh, This is allowing truth to form our thinking patterns, to give our faith assurance. He is enough. He is present. He is Lord. And I need to hear that over and over and over again. Yes, we do. Well, that reminds me, and, I, and the listeners have heard me say this before too, but Major Thomas used to tell us, yeah. you know, the same thing all the time. Yeah. And he, and he, I remember one time thanking him for a reminder, and he told me that's just what it was, a reminder, and we need to remind each other every day. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, uh, but I think I, I, I was teaching in one of the other centers and I asked some of the other staff, do you ever get, do you ever feel like, you, like, do you ever get embarrassed saying the same thing? And they all looked at me and laughed. I think that's something we all battle with, you know, saying the same thing. But then again, you think about it, there's nothing else of value to say. Yeah. So I've become like my wife in that sense. I just tell me again, tell yeah. me the sufficiency of Christ yeah. tell me that he lives tell me that he indwells me yeah. i can't hear it enough and as a recipient i find that you know it's interesting you know it's as a recipient when i'm listening to you to john when i'm listening to to other people and they're reminding me of christ i never sit there and go oh come on 
you know, yeah. you've done this already. You know, I, I don't think I've ever done that. Instead, it's, it's always encouraging yeah. to be pointed to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, John, what do you have? Yeah, so I was uh, just thinking through different passages, and it was recently actually reading uh, in Isaiah chapter 37, and this is when uh, King Hezekiah and is under attack by the Assyrians, and then they are you know, being surrounded by Sennacherib, and then uh, he appeals to Isaiah to, to plead on their behalf, and he petitions to the Lord, uh, and then Isaiah comes back and gives the Lord's response. And this is also in Second Kings. Uh, but he says here in chapter 37 of Isaiah uh, that he makes this promise in, in verse 31. And he says, The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And uh, there's a number of things, but that, that imagery there that he gives of the roots going down and then the the bearing of fruit springing forth, uh, and it just struck me, one of the things that came to my mind was Colossians chapter 2, uh, where he mentions... You know, Paul's writing, he says in verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and seeing the way that the Lord works with his people, uh, that that there's this, this rooting, this being established, this foundation that's set, and then from there comes, comes the building and the bearing of fruit and how easy it is for us just to get this reversed uh, and mm-hmm. that we focus so much on the, the performance and what's happening, our experience, rather than considering, again, the truth and the reality of who Christ is and our identity in him and allowing that to be the source of, of the fruit and the work. And I was just thinking too about, you know, at, at Bible school, I think that's just something that is so precious about this opportunity for, for us to have students here is that we we are giving this chance for the the root to go down, uh, for that foundation to be set, and and it's not primarily the goal of giving all the the do's and don'ts and this is what what it looks like externally to to live the Christian life, but this is the internal reality, and that's what life is lived from. It's the reality of Christ, and it's just so easy. I mean, I, again, thinking of reminders, like this is just that reminder that I need on a daily basis because I just think of how how quick I gravitate towards, you know, the the external growth, like what's visible, rather than considering the the heart and the roots going down, and just seeing in Jesus's ministry how often this is what he speaks of. You know, he, he speaks of the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, that the inside is filthy, but the external is, is good, it's clean. Mm. And he said, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's what's in the heart, and that's the priority. That's what's, what's important, and that we're living from the heart. And it's not to say the, the external is unimportant, but it's just getting the right order and how easy it is for us to, to get that mixed up. Mm. When you say easy, uh, I can embarrassingly identify with that. <laughs> you know, when we left full-time staff and um, went back to Louisiana for those six years to help with my mom and dad, I really struggled. You know, the first the first part of that those six years, especially, uh, you know, not not being, as I saw, a part of ministry, and then finding that I was just lost, you know, what to do, how to spend my day. And it's not that I didn't have things to do. It's just I, I didn't see that as being what it was. And Arlene pulled me aside. We were on the back patio standing right by the shrubs <laughs> coming out of the garage. And she kind of just stopped me. And she says, you know, in a very loving way, she, I needed to snap out of this. And told me that you are still very much involved in ministry. You're, the ministry looks different, but you are still very much involved. You have a father who can't remember a conversation 30 seconds ago. He will get on the scooter and take off down the road and get on the highway. 
you have a mother who's who, who is so sick she can't do just the you know the, the errands or simple things that she used to do it looks different but you still very mm. much have a ministry and ministering the life of Christ mm. and you know i had to realize you know i i'm looking at the what i perceive to be the the fruit that needs to be and backing that into whether or not i'm involved in ministry mm. and that was and, and, but uh, you know it's embarrassing to say that because come on you know you you've been teaching and preaching for you know almost 30 years and mm. and the lord has to put you in a situation like that to to get you to understand that you're thinking all twisted on this. Mm. And then even just at the end of that passage in Isaiah in verse 32, it says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And again, he's speaking to the the Jewish remnant, but then thinking again in Colossians chapter two, that he says, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So, so walk in him and that Mm. both the, the establishment is by faith in the Lord's work, and then the the bearing of fruit continues to be by faith in the Lord Himself. Yeah. Mm. That's great. I like to say it that the Christian life is really lived from the inside out. Yeah, and dispositions towards the Lord are eventually translated into actions. Mm. But you, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it starts inside, and then it works its way out. Yeah. Th- isn't that why so many of the reformers were scared of the book of James? You know, because I don't know. I, I'm suspicious. Did they not understand what the book was about? Or were they afraid that others were not going to understand what the book was about? I think that sometimes it was had to do with the background from which they came. Yeah, sure. Some of them sure. from a background which was steeped in tradition, right. steeped in for lack of a better word, performance. Right. And so I think that it was somewhat of a reaction to that. Right. Because, you know, what he says is, you know, but when you really look at it closely, you see, oh, no, he's not. It's, you know, show me your faith sure. without the works, and yeah. I'll show you my faith by my works. Yeah. So we get so caught up in the works. Well, I got to show my faith. It starts with the works. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. The, the works are the result yeah. of your faith in Christ. Mm. And so we should be active, you know, like Major Thomas used to tell us, you can't outwork the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if, you know, if, if we are by living by faith in Christ, works will be the result of that. Yeah. So we show our faith. Yeah. We, we all have an inner world that we are cultivating on the inside. The question is, what is our faith resting in? Because faith is never, never neutral. It's either in us or somebody else or something else. And that is ultimately going to show itself in our lives. But there's an inner world that we are, as it were, yeah, cultivating. Yeah. Uh, whoever we are. Right. Is that it, John? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, we can come back to me. Uh, let's see. Um. I've got two here. Which one do I want to go over? Uh, well, you know what? We've been in James. Uh, like I, I just took us to James. So why don't I go back to James? My first assignment coming to his hill, which is kind of funny because when Charlie brought Arlene and me here, it wasn't, it, the phone call went like this. Hey, Kelly, um, was wondering if, if you guys would uh, like to come here. Uh, we have a position for a registrar. So we need a Bible school secretary. And I was thinking Arlene would be good in that position uh, and we'll find something for you to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, we will pray about it. And, uh, And we ended up coming. And it was so funny because really what they did with me, they put Arlene in the office. She was the registrar. They put me over here. What's the, the craft room now? And uh, it's just basically a storage room. There's a closet in there, and that was my office. And uh, so that's where I spent the first six months is in the closet across the street. <laughs> but, uh, but then for finding something for me to do, Charlie said, why don't you teach the book of James? And I really appreciated that because I had just 
really in the last in the previous two years had come to realize that Christ was my life. I had my I had my degree. I you know and and there was a time where I just kind of after that the things just weren't going right. And I ended up you know the Lord bringing me to the end of myself and me realizing that yeah. Christ was much more than a ticket to heaven. He's my life. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting those first two years of this you know, realizing Christ is my life. If anybody said anything about works, uh, you know, what we were just talking about, if anybody said, I would just shut them off. If it was on the radio, you know, Christian radio, I'd just change the, the, the station. You know, I just wouldn't listen to it. But the first thing that I'm given when I come to teach at his hill is James. And you know, I had to think through some of these things. And uh, so it starts off, you know, familiar, familiar verses in James, starting in verse 2, consider it all joy. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I found that a good way to teach the book of James is to use it to teach it as a discussion class, because there are so many natural questions throughout this book. And starting from the very beginning, I'd say, okay, guys, it says consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And I would ask the question, does that mean that you need to be happy with the pain in your life? And just let them break up into groups and then come back together. And I think every year, I did it for 23 years straight, every year it started an argument. What people would say, one group would say, yes, we're to, be, we're to be happy. No, we're not supposed to be happy. It's not a good question. Happy and joy are two different things. Joy is a, um, a, 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 joy is a state of being. Happiness is an emotion. That came up, I think, every year. And so my response to that was, well, okay, that's interesting. Because if you look in Webster's Dictionary, you'll find that part of the definition for joy is happiness. And part of the definition of happiness is joy. And then they look at you kind of, you know, bug-eyed, like, oh my goodness, now what? But then I say, but now if you do a word study of joy, it might frustrate you even more because it actually means cheerfulness, gladness. And anytime you go uh, and, and you look at the word, how it's used throughout the New Testament and Nobody has a hard time accepting it out of these other verses that, you know, okay, cheerfulness, happiness. Okay, great. But not here because this one, I think when it comes down to it, we're uncomfortable with that, you know, a a joy during a horrible time. What do you mean? But I think when you move on and you get to verse four, you find out why you're to be joyful or happy but you also find out what you're to be joyful and happy with. And it's not, it's not a sadistic thing, you know, where, you know, be joyful and happy with the pain. Oh boy, this is wonderful. God, make it hurt more, you know, that kind of thing. But to, that you may be in verse four, that you may be perfect and complete. And the word perfect means mature. Yeah. The same word is used in Matthew five forty eight. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So all of a sudden we start to see something. There's something the Lord's doing with this. And then, so it'll be perfect and complete. And the word complete means fully developed. So they're real complementary words, perfect and complete mm-hmm. to, to be mature, to be fully developed. And you find that, Oh my goodness, you know, God has got this. He can take such a horrible thing and he can work it. He can actually be working out in me what is true of him found in Christ. And I think that's where the joy is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not that we should feel guilty for, you know, for not being happy that I've lost a loved one or that, you know, something horrible's happened, but that in the midst of it, I have a joy. And it, that brings me to Romans 8, 28 and 29. You know, the two verses that we always like to encourage each other with, you know. (laughs) We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we get stuck on that. 
you know, and I, I think I know for myself, if you're not careful, you start to decide what God's good is. And when that never works out, yep. you wonder, okay, wait a minute, where's God's good? But within the context, the next verse tells us for those, he t- the next verse tells us what God's good is for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, and I think this is his good, conform to the image of his son. And I think those two passages just complement each other so much. And they, they, it's been an encouragement for me, you know, that, that he's, he's using these things to get rid of what is not Jesus and to leave me with Christ alone. How can you not be happy? You know, how can you not be joyful with, with that? Yeah, yeah. That passage in James, I, you know, sometimes I say that, that faith is like a muscle that needs to be used in order to grow. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it's just within the context of kinesiology that you'll realize you cannot gain muscle tissue by reading a book about weightlifting. Mm. I wish it was. <laughs> That'd be nice. But you have to go through the process. Yeah. And often Peter Reed wants the results of spiritual maturity, but I don't like the process. Wow. But when you get enough time under your belt and you begin to realize and taste those uh, the, the, the results, mm. you begin to then take joy in the process. Okay. I think that's part of it. And... I just have come to settle in to the conviction that my take, my faith is not going to be stop being tested until my faith is no longer needed, and that day is going to be when I'm with Jesus. But yeah. until then, my experience has been it's just one test preparing me for the next and the next and the next. Mm. But with each test, you become more acquainted with the sufficiency and reality of Christ, and that's what mm. we want. Mm. How often do we hear, yeah. I just want Jesus to be real? Well, we all do, and that's the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I never heard, uh, if I have, I don't remember, anyone talking about you know the, the whole thing with muscle. You know, But in order for muscle to grow, it has to be ripped apart. It has to be torn up yeah. for it to grow. And, yeah. and that's an incredible picture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think too, you know, just there is there is a, a challenge for the Christian to to know. I think part of it is, a lot of it's just expectation of what's what is the right expected experience, mm. often emotionally, yeah. in my trial. Yeah. You know, and that if if my emotional experience is one of sorrow, then then that. I'm not living according to what what God encourages us to in James chapter one, and and I, I think there is just the reality that that there can be, um, in a sense, multiple experiences at once. You know, there's sorrow and yet rejoicing. Uh, that there's there's sadness and yet hope. You know, and, and I think even First Thessalonians when Paul says we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And so there's there's a simultaneous experience of grief and hope at the same time, and it's uh, I just wonder some of that conflict there in the passage in, in James chapter one where people wrestle with, well I'm supposed to consider all joy and then we just say that my experience should just be that of happiness mm-hmm. or or just mm-hmm. you know being being joyful about it, but recognizing and having the freedom to experience that the reality of the the struggle, and yet there's joy in the midst of it because yeah. of again who Christ is and, and who I am in Christ. Um, That's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, Peter, what do you have? Yeah, I I spend a certain amount of time in uh, the book of Colossians, and when I go through the epistles of Paul, it's interesting to note that there are six prayers written by Paul in the New Testament, and five of them were written out of prison. <laughs> and it just makes me aware of the fact that his life was reduced to that form of ministry in a new way. And when you think about the ministry of prayer, it does not have the limit limitations that a lot of other forms of ministry does. I don't need to travel. I don't need to raise money. Uh, I don't even need to be in good health. Uh, I don't need to be in the company of the saints, and I can pray. It's a ministry that has very few limitations. And I think that he began to value that 
during that time in prison more than ever before. Mm. But anyway, I wanted to read one of these prayers because it's become dear to me for a specific reason. He said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 through 19, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention and mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I have to believe if the Spirit of God moved somebody to record a prayer in Scripture, it reflects God's mind and will for his people. Mm. And when I don't know what to pray, the prayers of Paul are becoming more precious oh, for wow. me. And in particular, in, in a specific regards, there will always be a gap between my exposition and my experience. Mm. I wish I could say that my experience matches consistently everything that I preach. It doesn't. I'm growing. But when I sense that, pr that frustration, I go back to this prayer and I pray, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. Let my conscience become aware of your sufficiency and the riches of your glory in Christ. And 1 John 5.14 says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I pray those prayers with confidence because they must reflect his mind and will for the church. So he's going to answer that. Mm. And I have these prayers on a sheet of paper and I have them by, by my bedside. Okay. And sometimes I'll just go and pray these prayers when I don't know what to pray in the confidence that he's going to answer them. Mm. That, mm. to me, has become more precious than ever before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just so appreciate that. Uh, it's just that emphasis or just a reminder about that how there's so much freedom in prayer, the lack of limitation in the ministry of prayer. is, yeah, just really simple reality that we, we all know in our heads, but just mm. hearing it expressed again, this is encouragement. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with with as as you mature in Christ that becomes more of a precious thing? Mm -hmm. Because I can remember as a younger believer hearing older believers talk like that. Yes. And in my mind it making sense. Yeah. But it as really prayer has not become I would say not as precious to me as it is now in the last maybe 2 to 4 years. Mm -hmm. uh you know and again going back to trials as you know going through a really dark time mm -hmm. where prayer really became precious and I, I i tried to when talking about prayer i tried to encourage people to understand that prayer is a time for you to come in line with god mm -hmm. you know with with his will and you know one of the ways that it's just so clear for us is to be in the word and i think looking at other prayers is an incredible way to, yeah. it's amazing what they what these prayers don't necessarily do that's correct yeah you know what they don't necessarily talk about that that we're so prone yeah. to paul prays and you know he asks the colossian church to pray for him shows me number one that to ask for prayer prayer is not a sign of immaturity but actually maturity yeah. but there's something about going and asking his brother or sister for, to pray for me we sometimes had to hesitate at that mm -hmm. and then paul asks them to pray please pray that i might make the gospel known as i should mm. uh that wouldn't have been my natural prayer <laughs> my natural prayer would have been uh please ask god to get me out of here yeah. Paul wasn't praying that. Yeah. And these prayers yeah. that are prayed from Scripture are very different from what we would think a person in that state would ask for. Mm. That's interesting. You know, as as we as you read through Scripture, you find that th that it's it's got nothing. It's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's all about Him. He simply yeah. allows us to live in who it's all about. Yeah. So then, why wouldn't prayer? Yeah. Fit into that. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for that reminder. John, what do you have? Uh, so I'm in First Peter 
chapter two, and I get to go through First and Second Peter with our students each year, and and just this passage, uh, you know, in the second half of chapter two, he's talking uh, primarily about submission and subjection you know, to to governing authorities. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that a lot the last couple of years. Uh, he talks about submission from for slaves to submit to their masters and then wives to their husbands, then the husband's relationship with the wife as well. And and so this is all in the context of he's speaking to believers who are, who are being persecuted or are facing trials. And so probably those that are over them that he's telling them that to come in submission to are not always the nicest people. Yeah, mm-hmm. And he talks about mm-hmm. even if your master is unjust and slaves still mm-hmm. submit wives, even if your husband is not a believer, not walking in faithfulness to the Lord, still have this relationship of submission. But right in the middle of, of these these different examples that he gives or specific uh, situations of submission, in verse 21 of chapter 2, uh, he says, he, he gives an example. He says, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And 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 we get so fired up about injustice and I think we we should because uh, God is just but especially when the injustice is towards us we get really defensive and and we are quick to even if it's just in our own minds to just have a conversation with myself about how unfair this is mm. and and recognizing that we have this example of Christ who he himself was obviously treated unfairly and what was Jesus's response to injustice towards himself? And and he comes in submission to the governing authorities over him. He comes into submission to these religious leaders that are falsely accusing him. And how is it that he does it? And he says so clearly in this passage, he kept entrusting himself to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, and that kept there, that, Continual. It's not he entrusted himself once, but he continued to entrust himself to the Father. And as as I find myself again, just so quick to be very sensitive to any injustice that I feel that I'm experiencing, rather than first and foremost seeking out justice, instead in my own heart, just entrusting myself back to the Lord. And I just, yeah, I talk with students on a regular basis about injustices that happen in the dorms or uh, with different rules and infringement of rules and different things and and how easy it is for, for us to just get, get really uh, upset about injustice that's done towards us. And and I should be one who is a proponent to intercede for the justice of other people. But when it comes to my own personal life and the, the many petty ways that I feel I'm mistreated, whether it's you know in, in a marriage that I see, oh, that she, she didn't treat me the way that I think I deserve, or you know, just so many different ways that this comes out in our lives, that the response is one of entrusting myself. Mm-hmm. To the Lord, it's not my life, and so it comes back to that simple entrusting myself to Him, and yeah, it's just so clear. Yeah, you know, in in this passage, I just appreciate that simplicity. I need simple because, yeah, that mm. helps me be able to track with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh yeah. I um, I, re- I was reminded of a relationship years ago, um, between two staff members. Not it was a it was a work relationship. Um, one was uh, over the other, you know, as far as authority, uh, and was difficult to get along with. And what he kept doing and requiring of this other person, uh, it wasn't that it was wrong, but the personality differences 
caused some issues. And so the, the, the staff that was under the authority of the other was really struggling over these things. You know, why is he being like this? Why, you know, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And I remember Charlie going to that person and just saying, look, he's not going to change. You know, that's who he is. That's his personality. He's not doing anything that's, you know, according to rules and anything that's that's mm. wrong. And and Charlie understood. Yeah, I, I can understand why you're hurt. But he's not going to change. You need to. And, you know, that was a shock. Mm. But basically what Charlie was saying is you instead of insisting on this person changing the way and treating you the way you think you should be treated, even if you're right, really the, the problem here is your heart. And you need to trust Jesus. Mm. You need to trust him with what he's doing. And you know, to, to this person's credit, they listened and agreed. And all of a sudden, the work relationship between the two was 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 different. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's not that they ever really agreed again, but there wasn't that uh, there wasn't that defeat. Mm. You know, there was a re- there was a victory in difference. Yeah, you know, of personalities. Yeah, I've had to learn that sometimes, especially in human relationships, I'm expecting things from other people mm. that God has not necessarily promised me in this lifetime. Mm. And I impose my expectations and qualify them as God's promises to me. And it's not true. Wow. Uh, uh, For instance, uh, Scripture says, uh, children, obey your parents in all things. Well, God has not promised parents children who are always obedient. But that can tick you off. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, sometimes I think the command to them is a promise to me, and it's not. Yeah, right. You know, but that's what my expectation Mm. is. At this point in my life, my heart is inherently arrogant. And I'm learning that difficulties, difficult people are many times God's way of showing me myself and learning how to humble myself Mm. through that which is difficult rather than being humiliated by my own sin and failure. Much better to be humbled by by suffering than by your own sin. Mm. Always. Oh, wow. Wow. That's good. Well, I know that you guys have used up the the uh, the references you've brought with you. I have one more. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for making it public, Kelly. That's great. <laughs> no, I uh we have time for one more. So uh, I I want to use this one. Uh I I uh mentioned a little earlier uh you know that time uh, of coming to realize that Christ is my life. And I had, you know, I had grown up in a home that loved the Lord. Uh, it, it, uh, my parents were great examples of, of people who loved Jesus. My brother, the same. And I was, um, I was a person that was always kind of, gra- I gravitated toward um, making sure uh, my self-image is where, it need, where I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And so even in my, my faith, I, I felt like, you know, well, this is, you know, I had, I had certain things. This is what I want to be. This is how it needs to be. You know, I want to be a strong believer like my parents, like my brother. And so this is how I'm going to do this. And I, you know, by the time I was 22, I was really just burned out and just done with Christianity mm-hmm. and found out that that was exactly where I needed to be. You know, that I wasn't actually was not done with, <laughs> I wasn't done with Christianity. I was done with Kellyanity, but I didn't, I didn't realize that's what it was. And the Lord, you know, started to work in my heart right at that moment, you know, mm-hmm. just right away started to, to reveal himself. I mean, he had brought me to that point where like Abraham, I was as good as dead. And now I was at the right place for, mm-hmm. you know, to, for his, his work yeah. to, to explode. And so it was after that. I was um, uh, I was in bed one night. I was an associate pastor uh, in a uh, uh, well, I was associate pastor, and I found that having come to know Christ as my life, reading the Bible took on a whole new 
reality. Mm -hmm. It was as though I had never read this book before. I knew the stories, I knew the names of the characters, but it's like I didn't, I never read it. And so I was sitting up in bed one night and I read John 17, 3. This is eternal life. And I thought, oh my goodness, Jesus said that? And I've read that before. <laughs> Jesus said that? This is eternal life. Wow, that's interesting that he would say that because up until this point, I had always considered eternal life being something that starts someday sure. after I die or if Jesus comes to get me. You know. So then reading this first, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, that was a completely different idea of what eternal life is. Mm. And I just, I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God goodness, this sounds wonderful. You know, it's not something to wait for. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't see it fully now, but we are there. Yeah. And then just looking at the verse, the word to know, Christ says, this is eternal life, to know you, to know God and to know Jesus Christ. The word know, perceive, recognize, understand. And I often will ask students, you know, do you, do you ever walk into a room and have your father communicate to you from across the room without opening his mouth. And I can't tell you how many times people all over the room say, oh, yes, yes. And, you know, and I can, I remember the same thing. You know, I could walk into a room. My dad tell me everything he wants me to know right there at that moment from the other side of the room without opening his mouth. I knew if I was in trouble or I knew if I was about to be praised, you know, I just, just from, and it came from growing up in his home knowing him, eating meals with him, going on vacation, you know, being disciplined, working with him, playing with him, all of these things, being with him, I came to realize that I knew my dad. I perceived, I recognized my dad. Mm. Um, and, but this is what we were created for. Because Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this, this is after they had taken from the fruit, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. They heard the sound, and they recognized it. That means they've heard it before. Mm. You know, they, 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 they were created to perceive and to recognize, to know God. Mm. That's our design is to know him. And so that's our salvation, is to be restored back to that which we've fallen from, to recognize him, to recognize him in our work, to recognize him in our play, mm -hmm. recognize him in our quiet time. Yeah. That's eternal life. Yeah. And I thought, oh, Lord, thanks for showing that. Thanks for, thank you for this. Yeah. Amen. And, and again, I just go back to the first passage that you shared of just how knowing the truth sets you free mm. and, and freedom is getting to an, enjoy all that was intended, you know, and in that relationship with the father, you know, being restored in the person of Christ. And that's, that's true freedom. You know, that's eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, I was just like you. I had I had heard the words eternal life and I immediately thought of heaven and so I had relegated that to something that I would know someday. Yeah. But I couldn't reckon with life today. And that was a tragedy. Yeah. And, and that needed to be corrected. And um, praise God that eternal life begins at faith, not death. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's there's so much more oh. to be revealed. Yeah. And and I yeah. really think we'll spend we'll spend the rest of eternity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um realizing the depths of that mm, yeah. uh, of knowing him yes deeper and deeper and i mean for some reason we think well when we get to heaven that's it uh, well, wait a minute I, I don't think it'll ever be it because we're talking about knowing god mm. knowing jesus and i don't think there's a i don't think there's an end to the depth yeah. and i just think of as as i've gotten to share this this reality of eternal life being uh, to be enjoyed now. And I've heard you share it, Kelly, and, and just heard so many students respond to that. I've never had a student be disappointed about the fact that eternal life isn't just something one one mm. day, but it's something to be experienced and enjoyed now. Mm. Because that's 
that's exciting. It you know, is. It's not something that's just, well, we just kind of trudge through life, and then one day we get to experience mm. the goodness of God. Mm. But rather we experience the life of Christ and the person of Christ every day. Mm. And it, it just makes life freeing. It's enjoyable. It does. Yeah. Amen. Mm. Well, guys, I really appreciate this time. Thank you for... Uh, for being with me. Thank you for sharing yourselves. And uh, I I look forward to maybe doing it again sometime or at least having you guys back on the podcast uh, another time. I appreciate both of you being so willing to do that. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. You do a great job at this. Well, that's encouraging. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, along with the director of Torchbearers International, Peter Reed, and our principal, John Forrest. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. As always, remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.